Good morning, Spanish River Church. Good morning. If we have not had the pleasure to meet, my name is Mike Vietz. I'm the executive pastor here. And if you have your Bibles with you open, please, to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read chapter, or verses 39 through 11, verse 3, for our text today. We are going through Hebrews 11, and we're looking at the examples of faith that saints that have gone before us have lived out in this life. And so I'll pick up sort of in the middle of where David was last week, starting in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. The author of Hebrews writes, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their condem- com- commendation, not condemnation, commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you. Lord, when we consider the works of your hands, who are we? But Lord, the works of your hands actually point us to a more significant person that is you. And when we consider you, Father, we realize in humility, just how insignificant we could be had you not chosen to pour your love upon us, if you had not chosen to create us. Father, we love you. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for revealing who we are to ourselves. And Father, we ask that today your spirit would move freely in our midst and we would capture a new vision, not new in the sense that it's never been viewed before, but new to us of just how powerful and glorious and amazing you are. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, I love South Florida. I don't know if, if we haven't talked before, you may not know this, but I, I lived here for about nine years and I absolutely love everything about South Florida. I love the blue water of the Florida Keys, the wildlife of the Everglades, even snakes. I love the beaches, the palm trees, and the people. You know, when I left Indiana, <laughs> some of my friends in Indiana said, you're going to hate it there. The weather's hot and the people are rude. Suzanne and I have actually found the exact opposite to be true. We love the people of South Florida. I love walking the beach and I love walking my neighborhood. And everywhere I go for these nine years, I have found something that is absolutely beautiful. And if I'm not careful, I will start to focus on that beautiful created thing rather than my creator which is the exact opposite of why God created things, right? We learned last week that God created everything to scream out and cry to us, God made me. But when I look at beautiful things, when life gets easy, I tend to take my eyes off of God and focus on the creator. You ever experienced that before? Maybe that's not your situation. Maybe you come here today and it's the exact opposite. You hate Florida. It's flat, it's hot, there's a lot of bugs, and reptiles are not your thing. I would make the argument that you probably struggle on focus on the creation rather than the creator as well. Now, maybe none of that makes any impact on your life whatsoever. Where you live doesn't really matter. Maybe life has just been really, really hard. Maybe you've lost some loved ones. Maybe you look at uh, the situation in your life and it's extremely disappointing. It's not where you thought you would be at this point in your life. Maybe there are relational struggles You're focused on your heartache rather than on the heart of God for you. Here's my point. 
whether things are great or things are hard, our tendency is to lose focus on our creator and our faith is prone to grow weak. Grow weak. And that is exactly what's happening to the recipients of the, uh, the letter of Hebrews. They are under incredible persecution. They've lost homes, they're, they're losing lives, and they're losing their livelihood. And the author of Hebrews is pushing the recipients of this letter to persevere patiently with great endurance the faith that they've had for years before. But how do we do that? How do we do that? When times are really great, how do we keep our eyes focused on, on God? And when things are really hard, how do we keep our eyes focused on God? You know, when things are extremely difficult for me, I find it very easy to just focus on that circumstance and think that there's nothing that can be done. Well, the author of Hebrews here in 11 verse three, which is where we're gonna camp out, gives us the foundation of how we maintain this faith. We keep our eyes focused on the invisible creator who created absolutely everything. Now, for some of us, it's gonna be like, well, that's, that's kind of basic. No, 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 slow down. It's amazing. It's remarkable. So let's ponder it for a while. Let's start with God's creative word, God's spoken word. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. He's reflecting back here on Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-3, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse three, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning in Hebrew simply means, um, in the beginning of what is the question that it asks, and it means the beginning of everything. We know that because the heavens and the earth in Hebrew refers to the entirety of, un of the universe. There was no Hebrew word that said universe. And so when they wrote it, they said, the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created space and time and material. The very beginning of everything except for the one triune God who existed before time, space, and material ever began. Genesis 1.1 teaches that before anything, anything that we see, that we measure, that we taste, that we smell, that we feel, anything that even we can't see before any of that was God. God did not mold the universe from pre-existing material as Plato taught, nor did the material that was created come or emanate from God as pantheism believes. It's not holy as God is. Simply there's God, he spoke, and something that wasn't existing before existed. It's true for the sun. The sun. The sun. <laughs> it's true for the moon. It's true for the stars. It's true for the light that comes from the sun that allows the lilies in the valley to grow. God made them. The scent that the lilies produce, the nose that we have that receives the scent, God created it. The mountains, the valleys, the rivers, and the oceans, all of it created by the spoken word of God. God spoke and material became. The idea isn't that there was this great void in space and God then suddenly spoke and planets existed. No, 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 God spoke and space began. The idea is not that God existed in time 
and then he made space, and then he made material. No, God spoke and time began, which if you're like me, that's mind-boggling because I don't know how you don't have time when you, when you start to progress through people's thoughts, right? I thought this, then I thought this, then I thought this. Well, I thought that was time, but we learned that time didn't exist before God created it. Before the universe existed, before any of it existed, God existed. And this is significant because when we are in the midst of our circumstances, whether they be great or they be small, we have to remember that there is a God who created it all. He is the Lord of the universe. And this is also significant because he stands outside of time and space. And so when we see deterioration in our midst, when we see death in our midst, we have to remember that God is not controlled by time or space or death. And so when he makes promises of bringing us home and giving us new bodies, guess what? He can bring it to completion because he's not controlled by the same physical realities that we are. But you know, there's even, this actually implies even more than that. You know, if God created everything, we also believe that he is outside of time and space, right? We just mentioned that. But he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere present in time and space. And he knows, he's omniscient, he knows everything about all, every point in time and every point in space. So if us in our finite bodies could time travel to any location in the universe at any point in time, we would find God. And when we found God, he would know everything there is to know about that particular point at that particular time, both past, present, and future. Because we say he's unchangeable, he doesn't grow in his knowledge or understanding. This means you can run, but you won't be able to hide. Or to put it positively, you can, you can be thrown into the deepest dungeon or be in the deepest depression, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. He will always be with you right then and there. And he'll know your circumstances. And we know from scripture that he cares. You see, this idea that there's a God who, who created absolutely everything and is Lord of everything is incredibly comforting, especially in light of the fact that he reveals himself as a loving God. But before we get there, let's look at the difficulty in believing this. There's not just this mental ability to kind of process a God and then material being created. There is the reality of the world in which we grew up in. We really believe, or it's easier for us to believe in things that we can see than the unseen, right? For some of you, again, you're like, well, this is not rock and science, but I just want us to ponder it for a second and how it impacts our lives. You know, 1 Timothy 1.17 says, to the king of the ages, immortable, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Hebrews 11.27 says, says, by faith he, this is Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And back to our passage, Hebrews 11.3 says, so that, this is the second part of it, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is actually the drive or the thrust of what the author of Hebrews is trying to make in this passage. He's not making so much the point that you know, everything was created out of nothing. What he's trying to point out is that by faith, we believe that everything that is seen was created by a being who is not seen. And this is, this is difficult. I find it a lot easier to believe in something that can be measured 
even though I may not understand it. So let me give you an example. And I'm not making an argument here for Big Bang Theory, so don't write me an email this week saying, I can't believe you believe in this, or, or maybe it's the opposite. I can't believe you don't believe in this. Just hear me out, okay? I was raised in a very secular and liberal school system. And again, I'm not slamming school systems. I'm just telling you what's easier in my life, and you could probably identify with it. I was taught the Big Bang Theory, the idea that all the material, everything, all the energy and everything was combined into something smaller than a proton, and then it exploded. And over 13.8 billion years, everything kind of unraveled, and now we have human life. That's the basic outline of what I was taught, right? And although I don't understand the mathematics behind you know, proving all of this stuff, I sit there and I go, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Right? But from the time I was little, when a pastor in the Lutheran church told me, hey, before all of that, God, I'm like, mm, ah, can we measure God? Can we see God? Well, no, we have to take him by faith. I'm, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, guys, I can't measure the Big Bang. I can't do the math behind the Big Bang theory. But in my heart or in my mind, I'm like, that makes sense. Why? Because we we're raised in this culture that eliminates this God outside of the universe idea, and we only want to deal with what we can measure, touch, and prove. And it's odd to me because I can't prove the Big Bang, but in my heart, it's easier to accept. Anybody else with me? But the author of Hebrews says, hey, by faith, we believe that everything visible was created by this all-powerful, invisible God. Faith makes that a reality. Faith is what allows me, or allows me to see the reality of this triune God who's, who pre-exists everything that was ever created. It's faith that does that. And when I grasp this and I have faith in this, it actually helps me in the midst of today's circumstances. Let me make it maybe a little bit more personal for you. I've shared this story here, I'm sure, before. But when we were, when Su I say we were pregnant, really, when Suzanne was pregnant with our first child, we went in and we had an early, we went in, she went in and had an early ultrasound. And the news that came out of that was not so great. It wasn't dire, but things weren't looking awesome. And there was a chance that if whatever was going on continued to progress, that we were going to lose our child. And I thought about this and I responded the way that every overly confident and ignorant man would. I said, all right, doc, what are we going to do to fix this? And he said to me, we're going to pray. Yeah. Now, having graduated Bible college, pursuing a job in ministry and serving as a mission, on the mission field in Eastern Tennessee, I was immediately not impressed. <laughs> in fact, I was annoyed. I said, no, really. He said, Mike, Really? Susie is too early in her pregnancy for us to do anything. There's nothing we can do, but God can fix us, and so we need to ask him to intervene. My mind began racing. Didn't Dr. Vic understand that I came physically to his doctor's office for him to physically fix my wife and child, after which I was going to physically hand him money for his services? I wanted to tell him, Dr. Vic, if I wanted prayer, I'd go to my pastor, and guess what? I wouldn't pay him a dime. He'd pray. I came to a doctor, not to my pastor. And looking at me, because I'm, I'm terrible at hiding my emotions, he said, Mike, I know this is upsetting, but we need to trust God with your little one. 
Now, I, I gotta tell you, I drove home wrestling. There was, it, was, it was not lost on me that here I just graduated Bible college and I wanted to be a pastor, and I was very upset with a man who told me we needed to pray and trust this invisible God. But you know, Noel is 15 years old. I look back at it and I know Dr. Vick was absolutely right. They still can't fix the issue that she had. In fact, the issue never progressed and it never caused any problems for Noel at all, right? What we needed to do was trust in this invisible God to protect my wife and child. And I was so not ready to do that. I wanted a physical solution from a physical person to whom I could pay physical money to and have some control, right? But get this, we serve a God who, though invisible, has, has created everything by his spoken word. He is so magnificent and powerful that he speaks and that which doesn't exist comes into existence. He is outside of time and space and so that any circumstance within time and space that is bothering us or impacting us or affecting us, he's absolutely sovereign and in control of. This is incredibly, incredibly comforting because everything he promises, he is able to bring to fruition. Nothing within time and space could stop him. Now, where do we get this idea? Well, we've already looked at it, Genesis 1-1, right? And there's several other passages that talk about God creating things. But what I wanna highlight is we get this idea from God's written word, from scripture, the 66 books of the Bible that we have in front of us. He says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created. The phrase there, we understand, is an allusion to scripture. He gets it from Genesis 1-1. But here's the question, why should we trust scripture? Because God testifies himself in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God. All of scripture has its origin in God. Now, guys, I come from a really messed up background. I don't mean that like from a parent's perspective. I mean that from my own thinking perspective. And I used to always think that these were a bunch of man-made myths written for whatever reason, maybe to control the masses, Right? And we couldn't actually trust them. But what, actually, what God actually says is, no, you can trust it because it comes from this sovereign Lord who created everything. So Timothy uh, continues by saying that all of scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may, complete, may be complete and equipped for every good work. I find this awesome. Maybe you don't. But I like to work out. I, I like to lift weights. I like to do jujitsu. I like to swim. I hate running. Anybody else hate running? All right, amen. <laughs> if we can agree on that, we're good. But God's word is actually a workout regimen. Now by that, I don't mean you read it and he tells you how to work out and somehow you earn your salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you read God's word, it works you out. Listen to this. First Timothy 4 says, if you put these things before the brothers, this is Paul talking to Timothy, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training, weightlifting, jujitsu, swimming, not running, I'm sure he doesn't mean running, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. My friends, you and I are physical and we're spiritual beings. 
I don't know, for those of us who, well, I can't include myself in this, but if you eat healthy and you work out, and you feel great, have you ever noticed when you work out, the endorphins eventually wear off? It's because you're also created as a spiritual being. And if you're not in God's word, if you're not working out spiritually, you'll, there'll still be something amiss. God's word is powerful. It's alive and it's active. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and in discerning, this is the scary part, in discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When we read scripture, we find that it reads us and it exposes us for who we really are. Now that may sound really, really scary, but it's actually very, very comforting. And we'll get to the reason why here in a little bit. But reading the word of God is probably the most dangerous thing you can do all week long. Now, many of you, we read it at the beginning of the sermon, and many of you are like, oh, you didn't tell me that at the beginning. Like, Mike, you didn't have a sign of waiver or anything. I didn't want to do anything dangerous. It is, in fact, dangerous. Charles Spurgeon, when he's talking about the gospel and he's talking about the need to defend the gospel, says this, and I'd like to apply it to the word of God. He says, suppose a number of persons were to take it into their heads that they had to defend a lion, full-grown king of beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them, if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, that they should kindly stand back and open the door and let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. The best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. My friends, we need to let scripture out in our lives. We need to let scripture out in our lives. That means reading it, that means memorizing it, that means meditating on it. Because this word of God that created the world will recreate you and I and will be more and more like the son of Jesus. I'm sorry, like the son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, I had a friend at, uh, at the police department. His name was Sergeant Carr. Sergeant Carr was our training uh, officer and he always was talking about scripture to the point where most of the times the other officers would make fun of him. Oh, you know, crazy Sergeant Carr. Here he goes again talking about God, right? And one time, Mark Vance I can't believe I'm dropping these guys' names. Um, Mark was making fun of Sergeant Carr. He's like, here, Mark, here Sergeant Carr goes again, talking crazy, blah, 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 blah. And Sergeant Carr got real quiet and said, Mark, I bet you you can't read the entire Bible in a year and it not change your life. And Mark Van's like, yeah, whatever. He goes, I'll give you 500 bucks if you do it. And it doesn't change your life. So he read the entire Bible in six months. He came to Christ in Leviticus. Sergeant Carr did this with another gentleman, Kenny Bean, who was the guy who did my background check. Same exact thing. I don't know if it was Leviticus, but he came to Christ and reading the Bible in a year. Randy Pope likes to talk about when he evangelizes people, he gets them to read scripture. He said, it's the sword of God. I let people read it and it just stabs them. And I let it do its work. The written word of God is powerful, my friends. And from it, we can know by faith certain things about who God is and who we are. And in it, we can hear about the coming of the Son of God. So let's look at the incarnate word. 
the spoken word that created the universe, God's written word will recreate you, which is why the word of God became flesh. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Here's this powerful word that created everything out of nothing. Here's this powerful word coming and taking on flesh and living among us. Why? Why? Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, the scriptures. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. The incarnate word. The word became flesh. Here this invisible God who created, who spoke and created the universe. This, this invisible God who writes the word of God that changes our hearts became flesh. That's really amazing. But you might ask the question, why would he do that? Why would the creator of the universe who stands outside of time and space come into time and space and take on flesh? Why would he humble himself to that point? Because you and I, we read the word of God and we're like, mm, maybe. The word of God says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're like, I like boats. I think I'm going to focus on getting one of those. God says, worship me. And we're like, I think I'll worship myself and make my own rules. And there's this chasm between us and this creator. Yet he wants to bridge that chasm. And so the word of God takes on flesh that he might live a perfect life, that he might suffer, serve, and die on the cross for you and I. Why? So that we can be reconciled to him. The all-powerful God crucified so that he might put to death our sin. It's absolutely amazing. It's enough to make this guy dance, and I don't dance. I dance as often as I run. There's incredible love and forgiveness and reconciliation. Do you know this word made flesh? Do you know the creator of the universe? The one who suffered and died for you? Listen, this word made flesh is the same God who in the garden, right after Adam had violated the only commandment, came to Adam and said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat or have you eaten of the tree I commanded you not to eat? Now, I always like when I'm teaching this passage to ask the question, did God not know the answer to that? Did God not know that Adam had eaten the tree? The answer is, of course he knew. So what was God's motive for asking Adam that question. Was it to judge him and hammer him? No. First John 1, 9 says this. He says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's amazing. 
You see, God, the all-powerful creator of the heavens and earth, was asking Adam that question not to condemn him, but to clothe him. And when we read God's word, when we examine our hearts, when we're exposed before God, he does it not to condemn us, but to clothe us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to clothe us with his righteousness. Do you know Jesus? It's yours, it's offered to you as a gift. Let's put our trust in him and let's join together and live a life of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are incredibly gracious to us. We have this all-powerful God who descends to earth, takes on flesh, who offers us eternal life. And Lord, we know you can bring it to fruition because you are the God who created everything and stand outside of time and space. Father, would you increase our faith? And would you be with us now as we continue to worship you? In Jesus' name. Amen.